and those exosomal mRNA is shed intact in breast milk and probably ends up, um, um, may well end up killing and maiming or vaccinating the newborn while breastfeeding. Um, that That is uh, from two papers now. Um, I know of at least three um, moms that recently were breastfeeding and recently had the vaccine and their babies are no longer with us. They died, one immediately uh, within two days and another, uh, uh, the two others within uh, six weeks from chronic well-known vaccine complication. Check. I'm Ben Joseph Stewart. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein. I'm Jesse Golden, and this is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. So during the pandemic, if you were a pregnant woman or your, you know, soon-to-be father who was accompanying your partner to um, to their visits. You may, like I did, have experienced a lot of pressure for her to receive a vaccine against COVID. And um, it did make me super comfortable. It was also kind of early on in the process. You know, admittedly, I wasn't super certain what was going to be, what was going to happen with COVID. You know, I mean, you know, being a doctor, you you learn about all sorts of infectious diseases like Ebola and all this, you know, the Black Plague and the Spanish flu. And there, I mean, lots of scary things happen in the microbial world, right? Well, I wasn't quick. It wasn't um, too late into the whole pandemic, plandemic, scamdemic, whatever you want to call it, that I realized something is off here. There is fuckery afoot. And what ultimately um, I determined was, you know what? We don't have enough safety or efficacy data for me to be promoting this vaccine. Well, people were sort of in shock in our community. In fact, we lost a lot of friends over that, as many listeners maybe did. And fortunately for me, I was wasn't really working in the system anyways. I mean, granted, yeah, I did end up ultimately getting fired during COVID from my final conventional job posting as a hospice doctor, took off my mask caring for and a dying elderly old man who hadn't seen a face or been touched lovingly for who knows how long into the pandemic. He was 95. You know, he's actively dying. I got fired for taking my mask off and I should be sending them flowers because I don't really have too many regrets about that, I have to say. Um, but I wasn't really, I wasn't working as an OBGYN in the system at all. And um, there were a lot of doctors during the past couple years who ran into these same issues, right? Maybe something didn't feel that right, but, you know, the golden handcuffs are very, very bound, very, very firm. And there was a lot of there was a there was a, a compulsion really for many doctors and nurses and nurse practitioners and other providers to be recommending this thing because the cost of not going along with that narrative was very 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 high for many of us on the other hand we did take an oath and on the other hand if we all just stood up and said fuck this we're not doing this how could things have been different well i wasn't one of the dirty dozen but the guest that I brought on for today's podcast. If he wasn't considered one of the Dirty Dozen, I don't even know who made that list. He certainly would be welcome at their brunch table. James Thorpe, MD. He's worked for 44 years as an OBGYN. This is not like some young buck like me. Like, what do you know, young buck? He's a board-certified OBGYN, as am I. But he also went and did extra training in high-risk obstetrics care, um, <clears throat> which in fancy speak is maternal fetal medicine. And while he's he's been a <clears throat> he's very, very busy clinician um, to this day, 
But despite that busy patient load, he also um, has been very invested in clinical research, has over uh, 200 public, or almost 200 publications. He's like the Peter McCulloch of obstetrics guys. He also has won multiple awards for his investments and his time and um, and work within medical education. He's served as the reviewer for the surgical boards that I always tell, you know, I always talk about where you sit in front of a panel of people for five hours and they just pepper you with questions. There's no there's no board like quite like that in medicine. I mean, the surgeons all have surgical boards, but ours has a, we have a written test and then we have this really gnarly test that's everything from primary care all the way up through advanced surgery. He was the guy sitting there peppering people with questions. He's been a reviewer in major medical journals. He was on the board of directors, directors for the Society of Maternal um, Fetal Medicine for four years. He's a former um, veteran, served in the U.S. Air Force. This guy has testified in the U.S. Senate under the Bush administration in 2003, and then later in 2022 alongside Senator Ron Johnson and some others. And over the course of these past couple of years, he's dedicated his intellect and his advocacy and his entire reputation into COVID-19. He's published over 15 peer-reviewed studied uh, or scientific publications, and he also published a book documenting the dangers of the vaccine to women of reproductive age and in pregnancy. So when Christian Northrup offered to connect me, I was like, fuck, yeah, Christian Northrup, let's do it. James and I got on the phone and he said, you know, it is so nice to hear your voice. He had no idea who I was. He said, but you're another doctor, you're another OBGYN who has put their neck on the line. You've questioned the narrative. And since I had done that, you know, speaking from James's sort of paraphrasing what he had said. He said, since I started questioning this thing and going out to my colleagues, I mean, imagine this guy has friends in the highest positions in our obstetrics community, ABOG, ACOG, SMFM. He knows everybody. He's These are, have been his colleagues for decades. And as soon as he was like, hold on, guys, we're going to recommend this universally to all pregnant women. Shouldn't we have some data first? And as soon as he started pushing that, trying to open that door, he was it was slammed shut on him and he was booted out. He lost his whole friend circle. And he's so... He, said to me on the phone, he said, Nathan, I've been so so lonely and I just appreciate so much being on the phone with you right now. So thank you. And so I have a lot of compassion for James. I think he and I have a mutual respect. I'm a younger doctor. He's an older doctor. But that oath we took in this this journey to help people and to, to solve some of our public health dilemmas, to make the world a better place, like we haven't lost sight of that. So despite the golden handcuffs, despite the social networks, despite our prestigious positions and agent in, in these, you know, colleges and these whatever, uh, we did the right thing. <clears throat> and so for that, James Thorpe, MD, fellow of ACOG, I salute you. Although I doubt, I doubt James is a fellow of ACOG any longer. I won't be for much longer myself. So why have doctors been so hesitant? I think in big part, it's because there's a lot on the line. We don't want to become so isolated from our peers, even if it is doing the right thing. Nowadays, it doesn't seem like everybody out there is necessarily interested in doing the right thing. But furthermore, when I took my surgical boards, I took a board, board prep course by exam pro and there was one one day we were talking about the code vaccines and the you know the guy helping us prepare for this exam said you guys need to know like you need to be prepared to answer questions about the covid vaccine and i was shocked that nobody in this whole cohort of people taking this prep course had any clue how any of the vaccines worked let alone the schedules let alone potentially what the data showed because there was none all that we were to do on the exam was to say I recommend it universally. There was a report, there's been a couple you know, reports on this that have come out that the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists received over $10 million to promote the COVID-19 vaccination as, quote, safe and effective for pregnant women. This was before we had any data. It's sort of like saying, eat this banana, it will make you feel better. And, and saying saying that to somebody who's like allergic to bananas. We don't know how you're going to respond to the banana until we actually give it to a bunch of people and see how the response is. That sounds like a silly analogy, but that's exactly what we were doing. It's like, here, jump off this bridge without a parachute like well is there a like a landing pad down there like what the hell what's down there just trust us and even if 
you do land on a cushion at the bottom after jumping off, you know, taking that leap of faith, you're not going to look back and say like, God, I'm glad I trusted. You're going to say, what the fuck? <laughs> Could I see the, like what the padding is, the materials? Can I like, can you tell me how far the jump is? Like, what if I get hurt? What if I get hurt? Are you going to help me get some support for my medical bills and all that? No, 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 just jump. Trust us. We're the CDC. We're ABOC. We're ACOG. Fuck you guys. Well, what happened was a complete travesty these past couple years. We've shot ourselves in both feet and and you have every, women and their partners have every reason in the world to not trust anything you ever say for the rest of our generation's life. Shame on you. The CDC paid the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists over $10 million to promote these things as safe and effective before we had any data. We're going to include a bunch of links to this in the show notes. Belovedholistics.com slash podcast is where you can find that. Of course, we can't do shows like this. And uh, for James's show, by the way, he actually has slides. So go and watch the video version of this podcast. and You'll get to actually see the data that he's been scouring for all these years. Um, we can't do the show without our sponsors. So let's run through a couple sponsors here. Bioptimizers makes some incredible products. I always talk about the, I've been really getting into stool analyses and improving people's gut health for endocrine issues, immune system issues, nervous, nervous system issues. And um, oftentimes what I'll find is they're not digesting their food well. They have food going in and not being digested or absorbed very well, and then it's coming out. So what you can do here, support your digestion and your absorption using a product like Masszymes from Bioptimizers. It's a lot of enzymes that are going to help break down the proteins and fats, making sure if you can't break it down, you can't absorb it, right? So let's break it down so that you're not having diarrhea and intermittent constipation. Take two capsules with every meal. I promise you this is going to change the game for you, especially if you have digest digestive issues or if you've done a stool analysis that has shown, you know, relatively low pancreatic function. Go to bioptimizers.com slash holistic OBGYN. And um, I think the code is, uh, what is it? The code is beloved. So you can save yourself 10% there. Next up is Organifi. Organifi is special. Drew Connolly and his team have put together a wide range of products that are non-GMO. They're vegan. They are um, glyphosate-free, they're gluten-free, all of the things that you want in a, in a nutritional supplement. And they come in like these delicious powders. I like their green juice in the morning, their red juice in the afternoon, and their gold latte before bed. And if you go to Organifi.com beloved and you purchase their Sunrise to Sunset Kit, which gets you one canister of each, they're going to throw in 30 single-serving packets of their Pure. And their Pure is really great. It helps with... Um, mental clarity helps with focus it helps with cognition i carry it with me i've got it right here on the desk with me carry it with me when i travel you're gonna love it so go to organifi.com beloved purchase their sunrise to sunset kit and score yourself for a limited time 30 single serving packets of their pure these are like travel packets guys they're so great you'll save 20 percent if you use that link next up is rosemary marin you know i don't see pregnancy as or conception that for that matter as a physical process alone of course, yes, there's some physical attributes of it. You have to put a penis in the vagina and semen has to come out containing a whole bunch of healthy swimmers that go up through the cervix at the right time of the month in order to meet an egg that has been ovulated. And then they, you know, tens of thousands of sperms surround the egg and bam, you've got yourself um, conception. That's the physical part for a natural conception, I should say. There are so many other important attributes to this conception process. And one of my sponsors, Rosemary Marin, in her program, Soul Connections, she helps with this. She helps with the spiritual, the emotional side of this whole process. She offers virtual or in-person one-on-one sessions to help support a deep transformation and bonding between you, if you're listening, you're a mother, and your unborn baby. She specializes in miscarriage, in um, IUFD, in couples that are struggling to conceive, and she even has a specialty in helping communicate with babies that remain butt down into term, meaning breach, and who you might be able to convince to actually turn around. This is the type of work that we do at the Born Free Method to help you connect to your baby. 
It is possible. I've done it myself. My wife has done it. Many, many people do this. And once you have that connection, can you somehow con can sort of persuade them to, to turn around a little bit? I think that what Rosemary Marin is doing at Soul Connections is amazing. She's a guide for mothers who want to connect with the essence of their babies, period. And who doesn't want to do that? If you've lost a baby, she can help you with healing and understanding, maybe finding meaning if that's important to you. If you want to check out her work, go to rosemarymarin.com, R-O-S-E-M-A-R-Y-M-E-R-A-N.com and schedule a session. You're not going to regret it. Next up is BirthFit. BirthFit. My friend, Lindsay Cantu, God, what she's put together at BirthFit is incredible. If you use code BELOVED, go to BirthFit. You're going to get um, access, one month free access to their their B community, or you can get 20% off their, their postpartum basics course. I have take their, taken their coaching certification, and I know that if you go to them for individualized pregnancy and postpartum-specific training advice, we're talking all the whole lifestyle, the whole package, you're going to benefit because the coaches there are actually trained to, 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 to help women who are really any walk of life, but specifically around pregnancy and the postpartum periods. You're not going to get that at your routine CrossFit gym or your Bally's or whatever gym you go to. You're not going to get that because people aren't trained to do this. Lindsay and her team are doing this at BirthFit. So if it's important to you to optimize your lifestyle, to have the dream birth, to maintain your autonomy, and to grow the healthiest baby possible, go to birthfit.com, use code BELOVED, and you'll save 20% on their postpartum basics course. Or if you just want to be a part of the community and see what they're all about, you'll get a one month free access with code BELOVED. Thank you, Lindsay, for supporting the show. And Full Well Fertility. I talk so much about them. I give all of their products to my fertility clients to... All of my pregnant clients are taking full well, and they just released a new product called their Fertility Booster. So in addition to your men's virility vitamins and your women's prenatal vitamins, you can take this um, this new product that they have that has a variety of vitamins. Um, I'm going to read actually straight from the label what they've included here. Alpha-lipoic acid, N-acetylcysteine, coenzyme Q10, and organic ashw ashwagandha root extract. Add this to your vitamins, and um, you're definitely, without a doubt, going to boost the likelihood that you'll be able to conceive naturally. But even if you're gonna be going through IVF, we wanna get your egg and sperm quality as dialed in as possible. So do this now before you go to the IVF because you want to be able to um, harvest the healthiest eggs and the healthiest sperm so that those healthiest eggs and sperm meet in the Petri dish before the embryo is implanted. Otherwise, you may have to worry about DNA fragmentation and all the other perils of oxidative stress within these very, very delicate um, gametes. So if you wanna try this out, go to fullwellfertility.com and um, if you use code, let me make sure I get this code right, Beloved10, you'll save 10%. And while you're there, get their vitamins too. Get their Nourish Nerves Tonic, get their fish oil. Ayla Barman and her team have put together an amazing assortment of products there. All right, without further ado, my new friend and a very badass doctor who is all about standing up for what is right, Dr. James Thorpe, MD. Jim Thorpe, you are a very highly credentialed um, OBGYN who who trained probably very similarly to me, even though we're kind of a generation apart. You and I um, were connected by Christian Northrup after she and I recorded a podcast, and she said, "I think you need to know my friend Jimmy." <laughs> she calls you Jimmy, so that's the next level of of intimacy. Um, we're going to be talking all about COVID, this the mRNA vaccines, um, spike protein showing up in breast milk. Perhaps we're going to it's going to be a little bit of a journey for people out there. So. Assuming, you know, let's let's pretend that we're on an elevator and we've got maybe 30 floors to go. It's not a very fast moving elevator, but tell me your sort of global understanding of what happened here and why so many people are so confused and maybe even really reasonably concerned 
about how things have been managed, let's just say, over the past couple of years? Well, I think the most concerning part, what, what I see and I've learned over the last three to four years is a, a really been a very painful reality uh, for me. Um, I'm a veteran. Um, I think you were for, you're a veteran too, aren't you? I'm not a, I'm not a military veteran. No, my father was, oh. and he, 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 he refused to give his blessing for me to go into the Navy. I wanted to be a Navy SEAL, but here I am. <laughs> well, you look like a Navy SEAL. Oh, no, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, I see those big guns. Um, yeah, thank you. And so um, what, what I feel is that the most devastating part for me is that everything that I believe about my country mm. is proven to be a lie. Now, and what I see is that the entire government is uh, totally uh, corrupt and fraudulent and captured by the uh, large corporations. And that's very unfortunate. And, um, you know, I, I can present a timeline where it's undeniable that the rollout, um, and I will show you in, in this presentation today, that this uh, vaccine or jab rollout is the deadliest, most deadly vaccine or medicine ever rolled out mm. in the general population. And I'll prove that not by Jim Thorpe's opinion and not by Jim Thorpe's data, but by the data from Pfizer's own internal documents. Mm. So it's been very depressing for me to see um, our country in essence completely uh, disintegrate in front yeah. of me. All law, um, our government watching over our, our patients for our best that's not happening now. Thank you. So I guess sort of for starters, why don't we actually get into your background? You have quite a bit of credibility. You are, uh, I think, should be respected as a th as an authority over pregnancy, um, at least through the lens of the maternal fetal medicine training that you have. You did extra training beyond what an OBGYN does. You did three years. I suspect it was three mm -hmm. years of um, intense not only uh, re re investigative research, you know, which is a natural part of any subspecialist. I'm a subspecialist, by the way, in hospice and palliative care. So um, there's quite a bit of research that goes into that. You're really starting to dial in what you know, how you counsel. Um, so why don't you just tell tell people about your 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 credentials here? It's it's a, a laundry list. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, in 1979, I went to Wayne State University School of Medicine. I think at that time we were one of the largest medical schools. In in the country. And um, I, I had a health profession scholarship. I was commissioned as an officer during my second year of medical school in the United States Air Force. Um, and um, so I, then I found out that after that, that I might be relegated to a military um, residency program, OBGYN, which would have been like the lowest 10%. Um, and um, the good Lord uh, was watching out for me. My mother was a labor and delivery nurse. And I, wow. my mentor, who is all long gone, his name is Ignaz Philip Semmelweis. I don't know if you know that name. I know Semmelweis. that name. Yeah, Semmelweis. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's, um, I feel like he's my best friend. I read his book when I was 10 years old. Of course, he was long dead. But I know he's up there in heaven with my mother guiding me along. And after I read that book, I realized that I needed to go into OBGYN um, with my mother's influence. And as I finished my, uh, third and fourth year, uh, third year of medical school, the chairman of our OBGYN department was a former American College of OBGYN president. His name was Tommy Evans. And Tommy Evans called me into his office one day and he said uh, to me, sit down, uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Jim. And I was a, a bit nervous. And he uh, awarded me with the David S. Diamond Award, which was the number one um, OBGYN uh, uh, student in, in the class. 
David S. Diamond Award. And um, and then he said to me, um, you're going to do great things. And he goes, uh, just know I'm going to get you in any program in the world that you want to go to. I thought, oh, geez, I'm going to oh, get boy, stuck That's pressure. Peace you know, <laughs> or Air Force Base, which would have been the worst residency program in the country. It, it's better now. But the best uh, OBGYN uh, and um, perinatal capital of the world at that time, there was only one. It was University of Colorado in Denver. Wow. And I said, I, I said, I want to go to University of Colorado, Denver, right there. And he goes, you got it. You're in. Wow. And that's where I went. And how God worked out, you know, that the United States Air Force never made me go to the uh, other one. So I graduated. Uh, I, I went to University of Colorado for my residency, did my payback time in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and went to do my fellowship uh, uh, in um, University of Texas, Houston. Um, and so I, I've been in practice now for, for almost 44 years this June. Um, and I, um, I, I'm extensively published. I have, uh, I've never taken a formal academic appointment in a university. I've always been a full-time clinician. So by that, I mean, I did, I've never had two to three to four days off a week or a sabbatical to do my research. To do your paper writing. Funded, yeah. <laughs> I funded my own research uh, and I did my own research uh, while seeing full-time patients. Uh, you know, I, I have reviewed for all the ma major journals, um, I have um, probably 225, somewhere around there, peer-reviewed publications. I um, I was honored to be asked by the Bush administration in 2003 to present uh, as a maternal fetal medicine specialist and an expert at that time with closed fetal surgeries with fetal procedures in the womb. That was in 2003, and we uh, and um, since I I testified uh, just recently in the last few months at the um, Senate in the United States with uh, Ron Johnson in the Mississippi Senate, had some segments from me and the uh, Mexico, uh, Mexico City, sent their federal Senate, uh, some wow. clips there. Wow. I, I have um, re received many research awards from the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine, uh, and, and which is our main subspecialty society. Uh, I've seen almost 26,000 patients in the last three or four years. I'm going to turn 70 next month. So I, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of OBs or maternal field medicine docs like myself that have my experience and my expertise um, that have seen this many patients in the last four years. If there are, I don't know of them. Only to say, not to brag about this, but I do have my fingertips on the pulse of obstetrical outcomes yeah. like nobody else does in this country. Yeah, amazing. Well, I mean, the, you know, <laughs> what we've seen, we're going to get into this later in the in the interview, because, of course, I want to get through some of your data and some of your recent presentations um, as it specifically pertains to COVID and these mRNA um, biological devices. We'll call them what they are. Um, but I want to just give you props, you know, to do something for 40, 45 years, maybe even 50 years. That are is a, yeah, I mean, that's a heck of an accomplishment. So, um, so thank you for sharing that. And um, as this conversation evolves, I want people to just appreciate just how dedicated you've been to the job of caring for pregnant women and their families and, and how this COVID thing, just like with a lot of other people, can pull a rug out from underneath you real, real fast as soon as you become maligned with whatever interests there are, whether it's political or corporate. So, so, um, so thank you. 
um, there are few people who can say they've done something uh, diligently as you have for for four or five decades. So um, before we go into your mRNA vaccine presentation, the book by Semmelweis that was so uh, influential for you was his original book, probably translated into English on childbed fever. Is that right? Well, uh, let me uh, let me just grab that. I do have that book. And I want to show it to you. Um, and uh, yeah, um, wow. this is a uh, childbed fever. Yeah, there it is. Um, but the this ecology. is not. Yeah, it's a limited edition. I bought this. Um, it's a limited edition. Um, but no, this is not the book that I read when I was uh, ten or uh, twelve. I read a book by the name of which is fiction, but it's very, very. Um, it's only fiction on a few points. But uh, it's by Morton Thompson. The Cry and the Covenant is what I read. And I'll never forget it. Um, and when I read that, um, Nathan, little did I know that 50 years later, I would be in a situation worse than Ignaz Philip Semmelweis was oh, yeah. in the 1850s at Vienna Lying in Hospital. Worse. Wow. So the, the book you had held up was called The Etiology um, and Concept concept and Prophylaxis of Childbed Fever, I believe. Um, yeah. The of Childbed Fever. That's it. Okay. I just want to make sure I have it linked because a lot of people who listen are OBGYN residents. I think I have a collection of books that I think are kind of must-reads, and I will have to revisit that. I do remember at least reading part of it when I was in residency because somebody was talking about the history of Semmelweis, given that he was so invested in um, postpartum or, or uh, infection, the purpurium, I think is what, <laughs> what had been presented in some of the older texts. But anyways, um, I digress. Um, we'll link any of these books. We'll link that guys in the, uh, in the show notes. So why don't you bring up your screen, um, uh, Jim, and uh, I'll give people a little, a little sort of preface as to what we're going to do here. So if you're listening, Jim's going to do his best to entertain you as much as if you're viewing, but he is going to be going through some slides covering the uh, impacts of the mRNA vaccine, not on not just on pregnancy outcomes, but also on um, menstrual, the menstrual cycle. Um, the title of the talk is COVID-19 Vaccines and the Impact on Pregnancy Outcomes and Menstrual Function. And there's a paper that's in the sort of pre pre uh, publication phase that I have as well. No, we can... no, it's actually it's actually officially published. Oh, it in is a major peer reviewed medical journal. It was published two weeks ago. Oh, uh, my goodness. In the journal, uh, uh, the American, uh, the journal of American physicians and surgeons. No kidding. Um, okay. Well, that shows how long I've been preparing for this talk with you, Jim. I, I must have, <laughs> I must have downloaded it and read it and, and scoured it uh, before it was published. So the the stage is yours. Uh, just remember, people. Okay. Some people are listening. Some people are watching. But uh, the the floor okay. is yours. And um, yeah. So I. Just on, I, you see my intro slide here. Do you see that? Okay, Nathan, with yes, my yep, co-authors. Absolutely. And, and Peter McCulloch is listed here, everybody. You've probably heard his name because he has been one of the most, um, I don't even know what the word is, uh, disgraced doctors um, for very, very unreasonable reasons. Dis you know, the fact that he's on your paper, just like you, m hundreds of publications over the years. These are some really, really high-level researchers, very well-published physicians and uh, PhDs and whatnot. So continue. So we um, also, uh, Michael Deskovich, the PhD in mathematical modeling, there's some such a powerful analytics in this. But what we did was this is not the author's data. This is not Jim Thorpe's data. This is not Peter McCullough's data. This is your government's data. Uh, I also on this uh, author is Albert Benavides, which is one of the world experts on the CDC, FDA data uh, and their database. And I want to say that he's been on board. He goes, you know, Jim, you can't use the various data as is. 
they've deleted massive numbers of deaths and injuries. And I've proven it. I have it in their records. And I said, Albert, you're not going to mess with the government data. We're going to publish it exactly as they have it in there. And I'm going to hang them with their own rope. Mm. And that's what we've done. Mm. So if you, uh, if you, we use exactly the methodology that the CDC and FDA demand. And they demand it because it's very biased in their favor. Um, first to say the FDA and the CDC are funded by pharmaceutical companies uh, to the tune of almost 50% of their annual budget. And if you don't believe me, do your own due diligence. Yeah, I'll stand on that. So will RFK Jr. So <clears throat> what they demand is that you don't compare a novel vaccine with a placebo, but you compare it with another vaccine why does that bias them? Well, because even uh, uh, any vaccine has associated death and injury. So you're giving the novel vaccine, assuming that it's perfectly safe comparison to a previously used vaccine, which is false. Right, right. But right. nonetheless, we did it their way. They say uh, they ask for a proportional or a reporting ratio, which is just the ratio of adverse events with a novel vaccine compared to the former vaccine. We chose as our um, uh, as our control vaccine for the control group. We chose influenza vaccine. Why? Because influenza vaccine was uh, specifically approved for pregnancy. Uh, three quarters of the way through 1997. Uh, and by the way, uh, Nathan, it was only approved after it was in general use in the non-pregnant population wow. for 60 years. 60 years. Uh, what a what a what a switch we are now, right? So, um, let so me, that's um, what we did. Jim, and then we, Jim, can let me ask you something real quickly because everybody does talk about flu. When I was in um, residency, it was like it would be her you know heretical for me to not recommend in almost coerce a person to take the flu vaccine because, you know, people die all the time of flu in pregnancy. I don't think I ever saw somebody get pregnant or get very, very sick with the flu in pregnancy. I'm sure it can happen, but I actually looked into some of the data there. And, you know, the, uh, let's see, this is from a British medical journal study. And it looked at, it was a, it was a, a systematic review. And it looked at all of these really, really great studies, you know, where the denominator is like 3.2 million people. And they found an incidence rate. We're looking at number of women who have died due to flu influenza associated complications. And we're like 0.18 out of 10,000, 0.003 out of 10,000. So this is where we're at. Now, perhaps we can say that the flu vaccine um, was responsible for such low numbers, but I do think it's very reasonable to compare it to that because we have universalized this. Every pregnant woman out there is asked every single visit, do you want the flu vaccine? Do you want the flu vaccine? Um, and a lot of women are now declining it and not seeing a lot of deaths. So could you just comment on that as well? I mean, given that you are an MFM, and I know that you're not anti-vax. I think you're just pro-scientific investigation. Yeah, I, I, I'm in total agreement with you. And um, Nathan, your, your point is really well taken. What the medical industrial, now I call it the military medical industrial complex because the military is involved now. It's appropriate. So uh, uh, the MMIC, uh, military medical industrial complex, of course, is owned by pharma where they own each other. And uh, all the regulatory bodies are captured, every single one of them. All the journals are captured except for a very few. So um, what they tried to beat in medical students' head was uh, because of the cardiovascular changes in pregnancy, uh, you're at much greater risk of dying from viral pneumonia in pregnancy than the non-pregnant state. 
That's categorically false, absolutely categorically false. Mm. Now, there is some rationale for them saying that, well, uh, pregnancy is a state of um, immunocompromise because God had to compromise the immune system of a pregnant woman in order to accommodate and nurture a completely antigenically foreign individual, which is what a fetus is. The yeah. fetus is the most successful transplant in the world, and God created that. But um, everybody's assumed that God created that by inhibiting the immune system. No, God's a little bit smarter than we are. <laughs> and so, um, in fact, if you look at the data from Beth Pinnells, who is a maternal fetal medicine doc who published an article in the early COVID era, she looked at 40% of the population annually, and what she found was a complete opposite, Nathan. In fact, pregnant women are protected from death. The incidence of death from COVID-19 in the non-pregnant population was about 3.5%, and in the pregnant population, it was one-third of that, wow. about 0.8%. So that was a lie, and that's one of the lies they told us. That's why they said it was necessary in pregnancy. I will present a timeline to you that will prove that the rollout of this, uh, the most lethal, dangerous medication in the history of medicine was a fait accompli in pregnancy. Um, so anyways, we, we did the comparison. We looked at 18 adverse events. Um, I hand-selected those based upon my um, massive practice over the last four years and what I've been seeing. Um, and so I selected those uh, out of the CDC FDA database, uh, and, and we abstracted that data. Um, we looked at uh, just 15, uh, 18 months of COVID-19 data in pregnancy compared with 282 months of uh, influenza vaccine. What we found was astronomical. Um, going to the next slide. Um, this is a forest plot and a forest plot. I, I love forest plots, but you'll notice one thing odd about this um, plot. Um, uh, and I know that you, Nathan, that you see that the x-axis is funny looking. I had to make it a logarithmic x-axis because these adverse event uh, markers would be so far off the chart on a linear graph that it, I couldn't even um, chart it. So it's not linear. The x-axis goes is not zero, one, two, three. It's one, ten, a hundred, thousand. thousand. Yeah. Right. So uh, we didn't see a twofold increase, which is the danger signal for the FDA. We saw massive increases, far greater than that. Um, just to give you an idea, we saw almost a twelve hundredfold increase in severe menstrual abnormalities after the COVID nineteen vaccines compared with that of the influenza vaccine. Risk of miscarriage. 57-fold increase. That's 5,700% increase in miscarriage, a 38-fold increase in fetal death, 3,800% increase. And there's 15 other devastating pregnancy complications that far exceeded the CDC and the FDA uh, danger signals, and that included major fetal malformations, uh, severe lack of fluid amniotic fluid, we call oligohydramnios, fetal chromosomal abnormalities, fetal cardiac anomalies, cardiac arrhythmias, cardiac wow. arrest, severe placental abnormalities, placental blood clots, fetal growth restriction due to placental insufficiency, severe preeclampsia, and even early onset, preterm premature rupture of membranes, preterm delivery, and premature newborn born alive subsequently dying from those complications. So, we have seen a colossal, this is the greatest catastrophic 
colossal pool bar in the history of the world. So, and and uh, Jim, you said that this is all VAERS data, is that right? So that means that what was reported, even though there's been a lot of cases deleted, these numbers actually might be higher. Is that correct? Oh, they're much higher than this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, continue. This is interesting. So um, there's a lot of people that don't tolerate this. Um, A lot of our colleagues, Nathan, uh, 97% of them are vaccinated and they can't take that back and have, you know, about eight or 10 levels of cognitive dissonance that they can't. So when they're um, presented, even in a collegial and kind and loving manner, when I present this data to them, they get angry and and they lash out. um, Mm -hmm. And anger is a natural result of guilt and shame. And that's because they're guilt and shame because they realize what they've done. They can't take it back in themselves. They take, can't take it back in their family members, and they certainly can't take it back in the patients. And um, I'm told that I'm one of the rare human beings, a 1% or less, um, that has the ability to publicly stand in uh, front of a public forum like I'm doing now and uh, saying, yeah, I'm a sinner. And you know what? I've made some dreadful mistakes in my past, and I apologize for them. I was wrong. I've relooked at the data. And I've done an academic metanoia. I've done that with the influenza vaccine and with the uh, pertussis vaccine. I no longer push those vaccines in pregnancy. I used to do it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, to that, I think that there's a... I'll, I'll even tell you, you know, people think that when we talk about this, that we're like, you know, anti-vax. I don't even like that term because I'm actually not anti-anything. But... If you're going to do something that is so deliberately against nature and it seems so um, there's this kind of mystique around it or whatever, I'm naturally going to go and investigate. And I will tell you, vaccines weren't even on my radar. I mean, I had this doubts about it, like the hepatitis B vaccine when I was in residency. I brought this up with a, a patient. They were postpartum. And they were asking about vaccines. And I said, you know, honestly, of all the vaccines, I hadn't even been a father yet, but I was an intern in residency. I said, of all the vaccines, probably the hepatitis B has the uh, makes the least logical sense to me. And the pediatrics attending who is like, you know, my at- supervising doc is what an attending is, anybody listening. She chewed me out in front of everybody in the program. It was like gnarly. I felt pressed against the wall. And I was like, holy smokes. I didn't say not to get it. I just said, hey, if I had kids of all the vaccines, this is probably the one I wouldn't. It's if that type of comment is able to to generate such a reaction, it's no surprise that so many people like you have been completely um what's the word? What'd you say? Brainwashed. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's what it is. There's some deep-seated something there that is stirred up when we push back. And I mean, I'm not pushing back just to be a, a pain in the ass. I'm pushing back because I haven't seen data that's compelling enough for even my own wife for me to recommend her getting injected with a variety of things during pregnancy. So why would I tell my clients that just because... ABOG or ACOG wants me to. So I'll, I'll tell you more about that later. I, wanna, I want you to get back to your presentation because this is really interesting stuff. Well, so if, if um, the deniers, when, they, um, when I present them lovingly and collegially, they get angry and launch ad hominem attacks. Yeah. They say, well, you're just wrong. Well, okay, if that data is wrong, it's your government's data. <laughs> Analyzed it exactly as the CDC. Here's yeah. 34 other completely independent data sources showing the exact same thing that our study showed globally, over 34. And these include other large governmental systems like the UK yellow card yeah. shows worse than what VAERS has shown. The uh, European Medicines Agency, EMA, UDRA Vigilance, same, it's worse. The World Health Organization, Vigi Access, it's worse. Yeah, I've alluded already to, 
to Pfizer's own internal data. It's worse if you look at the insurance industry data. You know, we all know that over a year ago, there was massive, unprecedented increases in, you know, 10 standard deviations above the mean in all-cause mortality reported by the insurance industry executives out of uh, Indianapolis. We look at Edward Dowd's new book. I mean, his data is incontrovertible. It includes Pfizer's own data. Now, it, it also includes um, a, a other data, like, for example, this. I, I've been extensively published with my uh, my colleagues, uh, my research group around the country. This is probably to the tune of 20 or 25 publications in the last three years. This is one of our trilogy. This is COVID-19 and the unraveling of clinical uh, ex uh, experimental medicine. There's a part one, part two, and part three, all published in the Gazette of Medical Sciences, right? This uh, graph is my graph that I created uh, and is published in part three about a year ago. What I want to show you in this, and, and Senator Johnson was really interested in this in my testimony, and he focused on this. He said, um, you know, I reviewed one, I read I pulled out 1,366 peer-reviewed medical journal publications in just the first 15 months up to a year ago. Wow. Uh, up to a year ago, documenting severe injuries and death after COVID-19 vaccine. 1,366. And if you look on there, no surprise to Dr. Peter McCullough, you see over here, there was 300, the most common. I broke these down. I, I read every single one of them and I broke them all down into the wow. subject of the adverse event. And the most common subject of the adverse event was 336 out of the 1,366 with cardiac abnormalities, myocarditis and pericarditis, no surprise to Peter McCullough. The next most common over here was vaccine-induced thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura, like what happened to about... Uh, 18 months ago, the OBGYN doctor was killed by the vaccine with this mechanism about 18 months ago in South Florida, um, 209 cases. And then the third most common cause, no surprise, venous and arterial thromboembolism. But what this is just 15 months. There's probably over 2,500 now. Oh, I mean, uh, maybe 3,000. I don't know. Least. But yeah. understand that each one of these 1,366 publications might have had uh, three, four, or five authors on it. So there's about 5,000 authors that signed their name to a public document that might have destroyed their career. Wow. Think about that. Wow. Now, um, this is a stunning slide. Uh, you're going to like this, Nathan. I took those uh, publications and made uh, on the y-axis is the number in red, the number of publications published for each of the individual vaccines, peer-reviewed publications documenting an adverse event after a vaccine. And you see 1,366 in the red bar all the way to the left. Look wow. at the comparison. That's just that's just 18 months. So, okay. Jim, Jim, can uh, you describe this? Describe this graph for people listening. Um, so this the, is incredible. Yeah, good point. This is a bar graph, and there are um, seven bars going from the left to the right. The first bar is a red bar that goes up to 1,366. It's, it's red for obvious reasons. Those are the number of publications in just 15 months documenting adverse events, including death, from COVID-19 vaccines. Now, the next most common uh, frequent was only 39 publications for the influenza vaccines 
over 784 months. The next most common was MMR vaccine adverse event reports, of which there were only eight that I could find in 616 months. Hepatitis B vaccine, only eight reports in 484 months. The Tdap vaccines, only six reports in 436 months. The varicella vaccines, chickenpox vaccines, only six reports in 436 months. And the meningococcal vaccine, that's a meningitis vaccine, uh, only five, uh, uh, there was only two reports in 556 months. Wow. Listen to this audience, listen up to this one. Simple fact of the matter is, when you take the last century of all the medical literature all around the world and all the vaccines and add up all of the published adverse events, excluding COVID-19, they still, and you add them all together over the last century, they still pale in comparison wow. to the 1,366 reports in just 15 months. Let that sink in. You know, I think it's I think it's important to, to remind anybody listening that if you have doubts about this particular device, we're calling it a vaccine, but we don't have to get into that, but this does not work like most of these other vaccines. Um, in fact, it's, it's a starkly different uh, technology altogether. But if you have doubts about this COVID-19 vaccine and you're still okay with all the other vaccines, that slide alone is reasonable. It makes it reasonable enough for us to not be lumping anybody who is hesitant about a vaccine to to feel okay about that. Like, I, I we don't do any vaccines in our household. I'll just say that out, you know, and I don't think I'll ever get anything injected into my arm, uh, you know, in the future. But this experience over the past couple years, everybody who's been doubtful about vaccines up until that point had great reason to be. There's a lot of great people working. This thing catapulted our doubts around self-regulation of some of these products. And so if you're out there and you're like, I'm okay with vaccines, but I don't like the COVID vaccine and my friends have lumped me into the anti-vax group or whatever, you're not alone. This this new thing over the past couple of years has been a tremendously difficult thing to wrap our heads around. This is not like any other vaccine or whatever you want to call it that we've ever seen before. It's a tremendously a hard number to see, like that bar graph, which is 20 times the height of anything else. It's very, very hard to see that and to just nod ahead, nod your head and go along. This is a really, really, really big hole in our foot that we in the medical system have have produced, procured by shooting ourselves <laughs> multiple times. This is not good. I wanted to just uh, move on to the next slide here. And yeah. this is also included in the publication and also included in one of the 34 independent sources. Um, and I'm going to describe for the viewers that are just uh, seeing audio only, um, this is a graph on the x-axis is a fetal death rate um, and the fetal death rate is very very well defined and very stable in the united states of america over the last 10 years and we measure that uh, it's about somewhere in the range of 5.8 fetal deaths or stillbirths per thousand births wow. uh, those thousand births including live births and still so <clears throat> about 5.8 per thousand now i want you to um then on the y-axis what we have is a, a chronology of time. And I've, I've looked at um, from 2017, 2018, and 2019, I uh, aggregated those three years of uh, fetal death rates, and the aggregate is 5.83 per thousand births. And what I want to show you is that of the worst year of the pandemic, 
when COVID-19 was killing and in, allegedly killing and injuring everybody, the fetal death rate dropped. Wow. So the COVID-19 infection did not cause fetal death. The fetal death rate and all this um, pregnancy complication, I didn't see, and none of my colleagues have really seen increase until after the rollout of the vaccine. Now, this is whistleblower data from Michelle Gersh, and we were just on a podcast an hour ago and on a podcast last night. We've been um, literally been all over the world, uh, Michelle and I, and some other new OBGYN whistleblowers from around the country that I've uh, gathered up. And um, we presented multiple forums. And Michelle's data, this is not her data. This is the hospital data. The hospital administrator sent them an email that there uh, had unprecedented levels of fetal death. They said, you know, we've had 22 stillbirths in just one month on there were uh, two months that they achieved that record, July of 2021 and August of 2022. Heretofore, never come anywhere close to that record. And the administrator went on to say, and there were probably a lot more than that, but these are the only the ones that showed up to labor and delivery. Those that showed up to the ER or to the OR uh, direct admit or went delivered at home or went to another care provider we don't have. And we're expecting this number to increase. Well, you know, when you look at that, uh, did the metrics, that fetal death rate, when you do those metrics for those months, it goes up to 29.3, 29.3 per thousand from 5.8 to 29.3. That's a 40 plus sigma surge. That is a 40 plus standard deviation surge wow. from the baseline. That is like one in a million years. Yeah. This can't be explained by chance alone. Um, and it's very interesting that we we speak of Overton's window being the MMIC, the medical military industrial complex. That's their favorite thing to do. You exclude what you don't want to look at. That which I do not look for, I will not see. That's what the classic Overton window is. So for the Overton window, the differential diagnosis for these administrators and the other nurses at this facility, other than my Michelle Gershman, uh, is, you know, we don't know. It's maybe it's herbicide, you know, maybe it's, you know, x-rays, you know, maybe we just have no idea what, what it is, you know, maybe it's fentanyl, maybe, you know, they don't include the obvious yeah. in their differential diagnosis, so they never look at it. But um, I want to show, I have three other whistleblower sites. I'll only show one more. Um, and that's uh, just unbelievable. This is, uh, can you see that on your end? This I is, can, yeah, I can. Uh, the Canadian Lionsgate data. Hospital, Vancouver, British Columbia. I have five whistleblowers, all of whom will testify to their life that this data is valid. There were 13 dead babies in one 24-hour period, 21 dead babies in one week. Okay, this is a 16% fetal death rate. This is, or I should say, yeah, uh, uh, 160 per thousand births is is exactly um, what um, so um, uh, 160 per uh, 1,000. That is 300 sigma surge. So it's unprecedented. And um, I, I this is my last slide, and I'll shut up. But so this is the New England Journal of Medicine article in 2021. I told you that by February 28th, 2021, um, the first 90 day of rollout Pfizer 5.3.6 post marketing data was out. The data was in. The CDC had the data. Wow. The Department of Health and Human Services had the data. This guy, Shima Bakuro, who's 
a federal employee in times of runs the CDC and the FDA in terms of the vaccine safety stuff. Um, he published an article through the New England Journal of Medicine that touted the safety and he manipulated the numbers. So instead of being an 80 plus percent miscarriage rate, it was a 12% miscarriage rate, which is still three times the normal. Yeah. And he broadcasted out, put the uh, editor in chief of the New England Journal of Medicine, um, they're both corrupt, uh, this uh, Eric, uh, uh, this Dr. Eric Rubin, who testified at the vaccine committee, CDC pushing the vaccine with the famous statement, well, we don't know how safe it is in children. We'll just push it and see what happens. Well, that's what he did. And the um, what happened? Well, he killed a lot of babies and killed a lot of children and caused a lot of injury. Um, but that was his response. So um, let's just contrast here, uh, you know, me, Dr. Jim Thorpe versus Tommy Shimabakuro, the lead art. And let's just, you know, there's his picture. Uh, you know, I'll give it to him. He's a better look at the guy than I am. But Nonsense. recommendations from, <laughs> from him, from me. It's category X. It's contraindicated in pregnancy. And there's a black box warning, don't ever take it. What about Dr. Shima Bakuro? It's safe, effective, and necessary in pregnancy. And he's aware that it was the most deadly drug ever produced by the FDA and CDC and rolled out, and he's ignoring it. He's known that for two years, and he's still pushing it in pregnancy. Now, uh, uh, specialty. My specialty, board-certified OBGYN, board-certified maternal fetal medicine. His specialty, uh, I guess he's a family practice doctor. Um, I don't even know if he's board certified. Uh, he's got, I don't know how many years of experience. Funding source. My funding source <laughs> came from my wallet. All of my own, my beautiful bride, Maggie, and our money and um, and all my time, I donate. It's our my assets, our assets. What about Tommy T. Shima Bakura? Uh, he's got massive amounts of grants from the uh, government, from the military medical industrial complex. How about who's who employs us? Well, I'm employed by the largest Catholic healthcare system, I think, in the United States of America. He's employed by the federal government. And all of his 20 co-authors were employed by the federal government. And there were three OBGYN doctors on there that knew that what he, and he knew, and so did Eric uh, Rubin know, that this was a manipulated yeah. data fraud. Yeah. Conflicts of interest. Me? Zero. None. Nada. Massive punishment and harsh consequences for what I stand for. Um, how about him? Massive conflicts of interest, but they're all ignored. He's deeply entrenched in pushing vaccines. He's a federal employee, and he's a head of one of those uh, CDC vaccine safety committees. Give me a break. Benefits from the vaccine profits and patent royalties. Well, you know, I published a book, okay? Um, but um, guess what? You know, I don't push it and I don't take any royalties from it. I give a massive amount of my money to the, uh, our, our, the research and the charities and every dime of royalty I get off of this does not go to me. I give it away. Um, what about him? Uh, I don't know. Does he have any personal stocks in the, in, you know, the uh, various pharmaceutical companies? I don't know. It'd be an interesting thing to check. Yeah. And how about the major pertinent publication? Well, we're published in a non-biased, proven, truthful, with an incredible peer review process. The, uh, of all my 225 or however many peer reviewed publications, this one article received more review, aggressive, intense review than any other paper I've ever submitted for publication. Wow. Uh, and then his publication in the sham uh, New England, fraudulent New England Journal of Medicine that has pushed and perpetrated the most dangerous vaccine and medication 
ever rolled out. And not only are pushing it in the general population, but are still pushing it in my most vulnerable pregnant population. Doctors are not talking about COVID. They're afraid. They're afraid of having their licenses taken. They're afraid of talking about vaccines. They're afraid of having their license taken. Oh, what if I talk about cannabis? What if I talk about psychedelics? Oh, I'm just so afraid. I just love to play by the rules. Just let me play by the rules and let me take my paycheck home and be depressed at home with my beer and my cigarettes. Please just, 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 I'll just do my job the way that they tell me to do it. Well, obviously James doesn't follow those rules and nor do I, nor do my partner. Sarah Rosser, the co-creator of our course, The Born Free Method. There are so many topics that require further elaboration, far more than your doctor, your midwife, or even your doula, your childbirth educator, your Instagram, favorite Instagram influencer, whatever, far more than what they're able or willing, one of the two or both of the two, are willing to say about some of these really, dare I say, controversial topics. I mean, we're talking about the possible dangers of ultrasound, antibiotics, Rogan, vitamin K, whatever, not to mention adding in a bunch of information around how to optimize your lifestyle by detoxifying your body, your environment, even before conception, eating well, moving well, sleeping well. How do the adrenals play in? We put all that into the Born Free Method. You're going to learn about the history of obstetrics and midwifery. You're going to learn about um, radical responsibility. You're going to learn about informed consent, bioethics, and how this has been completely fractured by our experience during the COVID moment. There's also a unit for dads. What about the dads? Dads want to show up. There's four lessons there and five interviews with incredible fathers from around the, the, the world who are really, really excited to share with you their experiences. And of course, last but not least, cannabis, psychedelics, and other drug use in pregnancy. A lot of these topics people don't talk about because either they don't know, which, you know, fair enough, but a lot of people don't talk about it because they're afraid. So everybody's just so afraid of some big bad wolf coming in and getting them in trouble. Sarah and I are not afraid. In fact, we want to rattle the cage. We want to change maternity care. There's a lot of people talking about changing maternity care. Well, what are you doing? We're doing it. We're doing it through the, the Born Free Method. If you want to be a part of this movement, we'd love to have you in our um, next cohort, which starts July 1st. Go to bornfreemethod.com, jump on an enrollment call. We'll get you enrolled that day. Stoked to see you there. James Thorpe's interview is definitely going to be featured there. And maybe we'll even bring him in to talk a little bit more to the group. We'll see. All right. Speaking of James, let's get back to my conversation here with Dr. Thorpe. insert a couple things there uh jim thank you oh was that the end of your slides yeah right on thank you for that uh the shimabukuro uh article that study <laughs> if it was actually even a study i mean it was there's 10 authors and as you mentioned and for those of you who who are like abomination i can't believe they're talking about this just go and look just go and look go to new england journal or just go to your google search engine and just type in mrna vaccine safety shimabukuro we'll link it in the show notes Go to disclosures, and it says all authors, all 20 of the authors, are U.S. government employees or U.S. government contractors and do not have any material conflicts of interest. I mean, it's right there on the paper. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing, which you you brought up in uh, that final little one of the, the last lines of that table was that the New England Journal and many other major journals, unfortunately, are being um, financed, funded really operated now by pharmaceutical companies. Marsha Engel, former editor 
of the New England Journal. She came and spoke out about this. A former editor of The Lancet spoke out about this. Um, there's a book by John Giardini, The Illusion of Evidence-Based Medicine, which talks about the ghost writing of the studies, the papers themselves by the pharmaceutical companies, and then they find authors with credentials to pop in there as the... Uh, as the you know the published authors the you know the the purveyors of these studies we have a huge problem it's a huge conflict right now within our medical in, uh, publication industry in and of itself which you know when we like doctors like us we've we've got our american college of obstetricians and gynecologists um, they they are the ones that produce the guidelines and all this stuff everybody out there who's just doing what acog tells them to do unfortunately guys these guidelines are coming from these major journals, all of which are heavily financed. There is a lot of interest um, in pharmaceutical companies as to what is published and what isn't published, which is why it's important that you said this isn't my data. This is the government data. This is public publicly accessible data that can be analyzed and interpreted. And what I will say is that you can do whatever you want with the, the magic of, stat of statistics. But if you're being very truthfully honest with yourself, you can't have your decision made before you start analyzing the data. You need to go in with a completely open mind about what the data might show. And I am not seeing that from many of my colleagues, um, let alone some of the more well-researched and published um, OBGYN authors out there. So this is really, really important work, Jim. Anything you wanted to add about the uh, Shimabukuro data, the mRNA safety? Because you you kind of touched on it, but I'm curious if, if you could just elaborate on how they were statistically just super confused, maybe, as to where we, what we call a miscarriage and, and when the vaccines were given. Yeah. Um, and, and if you want a deeper dive into that, I would, I, I would direct you to our um, papers that we had uh, published in the Gazette of Medical Sciences, COVID-19, uh, and the unraveling of uh, experimental medicine. So uh, because we go over that, but basically what he did, understand there's a few tricks. There's not probably, excuse me, probably 12 or so um, fraudulent articles that have been published since uh, Shimmy's, uh, Shima Bakuro's uh, fraudulent article. And what they're trying to do is they realize that they've made the most colossal, uh, catastrophic, uh, egregious foobar in the history of medicine um, by pushing this in pregnancy. So now what they've done is this was always in their game plan is then you just kick the medical, military, medical, industrial complex journals and start pumping out all these fraudulent journals. And, and I can pick every single one of them apart. I can realize how they're cheating because I followed their cheating for so long. And it started with V-Safe. V-Safe data, and this is Shima Bakura, V-Safe data, um, and, um, is uh, arrived at by a, uh, by a smartphone. It's a smartphone app given a pregnant woman, and it backfired on them. So the, the thing about the, the uh, Shima Bakura article, it was only a 10-week window. And coincidentally, it was very, very closely uh, in the same time reference as the Pfizer 5.3.6 document. So what oh, it did was to use that window of only 10 weeks, a pregnancy lasts 40 weeks. So what they can do is, um, is, is they can drop off data on the front end or drop off data on the back end. There's no uh. um, stable group of denominators. And it's all vacillating and it's all smoke and mirrors um, so that what you can do is they claim that the uh, miscarriage rate was 12%. Well, 12% is four times, uh, three times what it should be. 
um, in, in most clinical practice. But it all depends on when you mark that from. So um, what they did was they uh, unethically, immorally, um, did a sleight of hand where 700 patients that received the vaccine in the third trimester, where it's impossible to have a miscarriage, you can't have a miscarriage after 20 weeks. You can only have a miscarriage before 20 weeks. So they shifted those into the first trimester and pretended that all of those patients got their vaccine in the first trimester. So what it does is it takes the miscarriage rate from 82% to 12%. I mean, they just got taught. And yeah. that's V-Safe yeah. uh, 1. V-Safe 2 data was published uh, about nine months later by Lauren Zouch, who's not even a physician. And exactly as you alluded to, in the illusion of evidence-based medicine, both of these articles are those from absolutely 100% guaranteed. I know it because I've seen their sleight of hand before. And what they did was they picked this beautiful young uh, nurse, um, and she's not even a doctor. Her name is Lauren Zouch. And they did the same thing with V-Safe 2, and she published her nonsense. The other clues that you get is the other non-science. They, um, here's a clue. When medical journals start using, start denying science, and they start talking about men getting pregnant, men um, menstruating, men ovulating, men delivering babies, and men chest feeding, and then changing their language, like the medical industrial complex journals do now, they won't allow you to say pregnant woman. You have to say pregnant people. You're not allowed to say breastfeeding. You have to say chest feeding. I, I mean, this is all nonsense. So this New England Journal of Medicine, it's so, you know, they don't talk. When you see pregnant women, okay, what, pregnant people? Okay, mm. having a baby is a glory from our creator. A, a woman is created in God's image. It's the most beautiful um, creation of God's universe. And then to offend 99.99% and say men can get pregnant and breastfeeding, uh, you know, pregnant people. Okay. And this is a the language they use. So if you want to pick out, if you see chest feeding or pregnant people, you know that's a contaminated, uh, uh, corrupt journal because that's fake science. Yeah. You know, no, uh, two plus two equals four. Men have penises, not vaginas. Men don't ovulate. Men can't get pregnant. I I'm really sorry, but I'm not going to play around with your fantasy. Facts are facts. You know, intersex, one in 10,000. Yeah. So that's one clue. The other clue is this shifting denominators. The entire V-Safe program is extraordinarily uh, uh, concerning. The V-Safe pregnancy uh, program, there, there's over 10 million cases. And if you can believe this, um, over 7% of those cases required an emergency visit to the hospital or to their doctor. 7%. And another 25% had to miss school or miss job. So there's one out of three people that had significant complications of those 10 million. So they wiped it all out and they won't show it to anybody. Wow. Just like they did with the uh with, with the Pfizer 5.3.6. How many, where have you seen that on the media, on, on mainstream media, where it's the most deadliest drug ever by Pfizer's own internal documents? Have you seen that on Fox News or CNN? Or, no, yeah. it's that. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I'll add there, and then I want to get into a little bit into breastfeeding is, is a little bit of a lamenting, you know, uh, on my part, knowing now that I, I have a genuine distrust of what I've, be, of what I'm being told, not just by senior physicians who are obviously they've done way more, you know, OBGYN related work than I have totally. 
Normally I would say, wow, that's a person I can learn from. Unfortunately now, it's not just them who seem to have been under a spell. It's the administrative, um, you know, this growing cadre of administrators that is managing the the medical industrial complex or medical military industrial complex, as you said. Um, it's also these three-letter organizations. It's the medical journals. You would think that that would be one little bastion of like, you know, safety, where we know that at least we can go to the data and look at it ourselves. And now we don't really even have that in our major journals, the Lancet, New England Journal. I mean, who knows, the Green Journal, the Gray Journal, whatever. Like, I just don't trust you anymore because it's it's like, you know, what's that old phrase? It takes it takes years to, to, to you know, to, to build trust with a person, but it takes, you know, seconds to fracture that. That there's a deep lament. It should be a deep lament for anybody who's been called to medicine to know that the oversight bodies that we used to be able to entrust to go through every study and then publish the important ones in a monthly journal, that we can't trust them. That to me is a deep pain that I don't think I'll ever shake, Jim. I don't think I'm ever going to just be able to say, you know what, it was an NIH studied funded, you know, funded study. I, I know these researchers. This is a journal that's you know reputable around the world. I don't know if we can do that anymore. I just don't know. I, I mean, this yeah. is a bad I, spot. I can't ever do it again. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you, Nathan. It's, uh, you know, it's part of the pain when, you know, Tucker Carlson comes out and says, okay, we, we have the CIA files. Yeah, it, it was the medical industrial complex and the CIA that murdered my president. Um, and, and he bowed to disassemble them as per President Eisenhower's um, famous 1960 speech. He vowed to do that, and six months later, he's murdered with a successful coup d'etat mm. from Lyndon Johnson. And we never addressed that, and they called it a conspiracy theory. Now we know that it's fact. Mm. And so um, we we di- we should have dealt with it then, and we should have taken JFK's famous, you know, um, uh, splinter them into a thousand pieces and destroy the shaft to the wind. We needed to have done that 60 years ago, and now this military medical industrial complex has become exponentially more powerful and more dangerous and they're coming after us they're killing us yeah hide your kids um you know i i know that we're i don't want to go too deep into this but when we we seem to uh continue to be on this path of controlling nature controlling people and everybody out there now i think has a distrust of governments and the regulatory agencies you know one example is i live in kentucky you're in florida is that right jim mm-hmm. so i'm in kentucky in Louisville, the Ohio River is a, a a short jog that direction, and my hometown is in Pittsburgh. And just north of that, in East Palestine, um, Palestine, Ohio, they had this big chemical spill. It was almost no coverage. Hundreds of tons, you know, thousands of tons of of vinyl chloride and, and all these other VOCs, these these organic, you know, volatile compounds, are now dumped into one of the major waterways in the United States. It leads to the Mississippi. And we are sitting right on there. And then they're saying, hey, the water drinking, you know, the drinking water is fine here. And maybe it is. But I just, these are like these little things. Like, I don't think people realize just how problematic it is when we can't trust elected officials or these oversight agencies. I mean, this is not just about COVID. This is us shooting ourselves in the foot, in the ankle, in the knee as a medical system. And now people see me, if I call myself a doctor, a board certified doctor, they immediately have to figure out, is this guy one of them or is he one of us? Like, is he on our side? Is he really determined to care for people regardless of what these agencies say? And I have to like now, has, that has to be like a part of my introduction now. Like I, I, I see the world the way you do it, I, I, the way you see it. I'm, I'm with you, I'm here to care for you, not in order to execute orders. But 
we'll get into this. I, 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 let's get into that a little bit more because I know that that's been a big part of what has bonded me and you in the short time that we've known known one another. One big question I do get um, from a lot of uh, women and their partners is, you know, about breastfeeding. You know, I got the vaccine, let's say, and now I'm worried. I don't, I, I had my mind changed, you know, through, you know, fortunately people blowing the whistle and speaking out as you have and many others have. I'm now worried I'm going to be passing something to my baby through, through breast milk or whatever. Can you speak to that just a little bit? Because I have seen you do a presentation on this topic and I think it's 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 pretty interesting I think it's a it's on a lot of people's minds you you are passing stuff onto your baby uh, two studies show that now and it's very very upsetting and very very concerning um, what we know is that um, when the shot goes into the arm it's loaded with uh, anywhere people depending on the vaccine 20 to 80 billion lipid nanoparticles lipid nanoparticles are you know we're talking about anywhere from 10 to 50 nanometers not micrometers, nanometers. Um, and they don't stay in the arm. They lie to us. They go immediately they throughout go the body. Everywhere. The lipid nanoparticle go into every excretory organ, and they're actually reprocessed into uh, intact messenger RNA, the man-made messenger RNA from the vaccine, are reprocessed into the cell's own package called an exosome. Then it's re-secreted into the bloodstream as an exosome with intact pseudouridinated mRNA, the man-made dangerous stuff. And it goes to every single gland in the body, including the milk uh, glands in the breast. And those exosomal mRNA is shed intact in breast milk and probably ends up, um, um, may well end up killing and maiming or vaccinating the newborn while breastfeeding. Wow. Um, that That is uh, from two papers now. Um, I know of at least three um, moms that recently were breastfeeding and recently had the vaccine and their babies are no longer with us. They died, one immediately uh, within two days and another, uh, uh, the two others within uh, six weeks from chronic well-known vaccine complications. So, um, and we published extensively last year on this issue of shedding. Um, so we now, from the My Cycle story, and we published, uh, that's also published in the Gazette of Medical Sciences, and Tiffany Parato is the creator of the My Cycle story, and many of the Children's Health Defense uh, group uh, are on that paper with me. We published that last year, and we're about ready to publish another article uh, in the next month that's going to be some shocking information that, again, confirms that of those 70% uh, or so of women that presented with a severe menstrual abnormality, 70% seven, of them weren't vaccinated. But three to five days prior to their menstrual abnormality, they came in close contact yeah. with a vaccinated person. <clears throat> I, I wonder if I should share her name. I think I don't think she would mind. My friend Angie Check, she's, uh, her husband's Paul Check. They have this big uh, holistic lifestyle coaching program, very much very much in alignment with this way before it was even cool to be pushing back. But Angie, um, <clears throat> of course, none of them have been vaccinated, especially with the COVID vaccines. And um, her sister came to visit her. And as soon as she got in the car, Angie felt something kind of weird. She's a pretty sensible person, kind of has some extra sensory perceptive abilities. But she started bleeding shortly after that, like the next day. And she, it prompted her to ask her sister, did you get the vaccine? And she was like, oh, yeah, I did. Wow. And she was like, you can't do that to me. It's like, it's like dosing somebody's drink at the club or something. You got to let me know. I mean, this is something we've held very, very seriously in our family. And they kind of just caution to the wind like, oh, yeah, I got the vaccine or whatever. And, and meanwhile, my friend Angie, she started her, her bleed. And 
he wasn't due for that. So I've heard so many of these stories. I'm did, I, do, I am glad that you brought that up because I think a lot of women are, are really skeptical, of course, of the data, but especially because it doesn't align with their real experience. Like if it's not coming up in the data, it doesn't mean like I would say if, the, if they publish a study in the New England Journal that says grass is red and you go outside and see the grass is green, does that study can convince you otherwise? Or is your real life experience actually what matters? We've just become so invested in what these major journals have to say that we forget about our actual life experience, which is why this whistleblower data, I think, is actually really, really great. And, and people coming, I mean, I get an email a day about somebody who's wondering about their menstrual changes and everything. So I'm glad that you um, spoke to that. So so we've got pregnancy issues. We've got lactation issues, uh, breastfeeding issues. We've got menstrual issues, if you're not even thinking about getting pregnant. To speak out on these things as an OBGYN makes you a huge target, despite all of those credentials, despite giving decades of your time to these organizations in order to, to advance uh, the maternity care system, how we care for pregnant and postpartum women or women in any phase of their life. Um, you have been largely uh, cast out of the club. Um, I want to read a little a little snippet here of a um, of a letter that you wrote to the American Board of of OBGYNs. Um, real quickly, tell me about your direct experience with this with this organization, who is, by the way, the same boarding organization that gave me my board certification as it did you. Every board certified OBGYN knows about this company or this organization. Um, what what has been your experience with them? Because I, from what I understand, you were you were pretty invested into ABOG for years. Well, well, I was. I mean, I I've always um, I, I've always been part of that. In fact, you know, I was actually uh, brought on as a board examiner in the '90s. I think it was for at least a year. I can't remember. I hated doing it. But I, uh, the, my friends and colleagues on the board uh, had a tremendous amount of respect for me and vice versa. Um, um, so immediately when they put out, uh, when they started making the recommendations for this, I challenged them and I showed them the Pfizer data, Pfizer 5.3.6, um, and they wouldn't respond and they threatened to um, destroy me. Um, and you see the letters I've written several, yeah. um, very, very, uh, very complimentary, very collegial, very honest, very forthright letters, um, asking them to, you know, let me help them with sort out the data since I've focused so much of my life on data and on, on the last three years on the vaccine data. I mean, you know, <clears throat> no, they just threatened me. Yeah. Um, same with SMFM and ACOG, um, they're corrupted organizations. Uh, two plus two equals five. Men menstruate, just feed, have babies. You know, um, yeah. it's good to have your kids go to the drag queen shows and such. You know, this is this is where they're at now. Well, I want to read a little snippet. And I, I will also say that, you know, out there in the world, there may be people listening who are struggling with their identity, they may identify as trans or non-binary or whatever else. When individuals come into my practice, I will use whatever um, pronouns they wish to use. And it's because I want to understand a person's whole story before I make judgments about them. Having said that, when we're looking at the medical sciences, we need to be very, very deliberate with what we're saying constitutes a male and a female, because it actually is important. It actually is a stark contrast between the way of the physiology of XX works versus XY. It is just a factual reality that we have to you know, move around. I don't even think that the 
that politicians and our you know agencies like ABOG, I don't even care what they have to say about it. It's not. It's almost like it's not even their domain. But I I do see it as as kind of putting a veil of of like confusion around things in in order to you know to make this conversation more complicated than than it even has to be around COVID, for example. Like I want to know is this safe for me in pregnancy? I don't want to know your opinions as to has as to how you know people identify i'm, I'm speaking to a to abog here um but you know there was a there was a great uh, actually two months ago there was a, a green journal that had a bunch a couple studies about covid and the, of the three one was an actual study that it didn't contribute anything to the conversation the other two were like op-ed pieces like they're just confusing the conversation by talking more they're just saying more things making it very very hard to understand as clinicians or people that are being treated by clinicians um, as to what is up from down like it really does seem to be like what the fuck are you guys talking about can you just tell me like can you give me some data can you show me what you're looking at or are you just going to pull these things out of the sky and try to convince me that that's how I should be speaking or or treating people it's it's absurd it's become really really hard um Amen. i want to i want to read a little um a little a short little paragraph here you wrote this letter to abog which like you said it's well referenced it is very respectful and it is eloquent as hell <laughs> gaslighting has been described as an insidious form of manipulation and psychological control where victims are deliberately and systematically fed false information that leads them to questions to question what they know to be true you have a citation here um, from a Psychology Today article about the definition of gaslight. Gaslighting occurs when an abuser tries to control a victim by twisting their sense of reality. The abuser or bully misleads their target, creating a false narrative and making them question their judgments, reality, and perception. When the victim calls out the gaslighting, the abuse will frequently the abuser will frequently try to discredit their victim. That is exactly what you've been going through over the past couple of years. And, and one thing that we bonded on, um, and before, you know, first and foremost, let me just thank you for being so, uh, I don't even know if courageous, I don't even know if it feels like courageous to you because you knew it was on the line, you did it anyway, but I'm not sure you totally expected this type of backlash from so many of your colleagues. So let's let's kind of wrap up our conversation with a converse, you know, just about what has happened to you in your practice. How has this felt to be a physician who has spoken out in this way and has been largely, I don't know, outcast? It's it's devastating, uh, especially when I've enjoyed a, a, a tremendous amount of, you know, honor and respect for my whole career and um, awards and all this stuff. Um, but it's just not my colleagues. It's not just my colleagues, you know, Nathan, it's, it's my family. My family members, my, you know, I, I, I trained hundreds and hundreds of residents in medical schools, if not thousands. And, um, you know, in essence, I've been rejected by all of them. Maybe, maybe I can count one or two on my fingers that have actually got back and said, wow, Dr. Thorpe, I, I saw you on Tucker Carlson, or I saw your Senate testimony, and thank you for what you're doing. Wow. I'm so proud of you for, you know, protecting me. Nothing. It's like, you know, you effing idiot, you know, you're a shame, you know, you're you're just total disgrace to the human race, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm. And, um, you know, you have to be rooted in, and know um, truth. But to me, um, this is, you know, I'm turning 70 next month. Uh, 70 is, is a very um, significant milestone. And um, my, it's truth is more important to me than anything else in the world. Um, and I will stand for the truth. You know, I took a, 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 an oath before God, you know, to follow 
God and his commandments. I took an uh, oath as a military officer to honor the Constitution. And I took the Hippocratic Oath. And I'm never going to let my patients down. I will die for my patients. I will die to uphold any one of those three oaths that I've taken. I don't care. I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid of retaliation. I'm afraid of not honoring God and not honoring the truth. I will never give up on the truth. And I will continue to speak the truth until my last breath and my last heartbeat. And I will continue to be in the people's faces who are killing my patients. Mm. Well, thank you. I mean, I I, uh, could fluff you up for another 30 minutes if you had had the time. Um, But I do feel very... Uh, when you and I connected on the phone for the first time and we were sort of sharing our stories. Remember I had told you that I was fired on the spot basically for taking my mask down, caring for somebody who was 95 at the end of their life and was desperate for human connection on my hospice team, a hospice service. And the right thing to do there was to take off my mask, but I got fired. So I understand why a lot of doctors and nurses out there, um, they are very compelled to keep doing their thing even if they feel differently. But I also wanna say, if everybody was like me and you, and we were just out there looking to do the right thing, there's many ways to to you know to determine what, the, what right and wrong is, but there are certain things in the world that are right and wrong. And um, to not speak up because of the golden handcuffs or because of your, you know, your income's gonna be hit or whatever, I understand that, but if we all did it simultaneously, I am Spartacus, the entire medical military industrial complex just falls apart. Right. So I don't know how we do that, but I am. I do think conversations like this will con- will, will hope to um, inspire that courage within other people. And I am very proud of you, Jim. Very, very proud well, I'm, of you. I'm, I'm very proud of you because you're, um, listen, you're risking a lot and you you are a focus of truth. You are a platform of truth and you're bold and courageous. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much done with my life. You know, you're a young, handsome, strong man with a beautiful family and beautiful yeah. kids. And uh, what you're doing is is uh, is very, very courageous. And I'm very grateful to be on your platform. Very- I would have loved to have you as my attending back when I was in residency. There, there's that, and I would have been, I would have been hooting and hollering if you, you know, when I saw you on Tucker Carlson, even more so than I am now. So, um, Jim, any final comments? Maybe like, what's the big takeaway here? What, what can people do if they're feeling confused about this? Where can they go? Where can they find, you know, your books or your not only your books but your presentations? Like, where do you want them to go in order to get more? Every, I'm very active on Twitter, uh, and my handle is. Um, at J-A-T-H-O-R-P-M-F-M, maternal fetal medicine, J-A-T-H-O-R-P-M-F-M. Um, and and um, my email is J-A-T-H-O-R-P-M-F-M at gmail.com. If I can help you, give me a holler. I'm very active on the Twitter. You can go to Google Scholar and just put my name in and get most all of those publications. Um, very easy way to do it. Just type in my name, Thorpe. No, we and most those will pop up. And if I can help you, let me know. Um, want to close my thoughts by by saying that 2,500 years ago, um, God spoke through the prophet of Hosea in chapter four, verse six, and He warned a prophetic warning: "My people die for lack of knowledge." And I've been aware of that and wasn't exactly sure what it meant um, for many, many decades of my life. But never before, heretofore, in all of human history as this prophecy never been more fulfilled than it is today with this pandemic. People Amen. getting killed, you know, from 
the vaccine and injured from the vaccine, um, and they think they're helping themselves. Mm. So you are saving people's lives, Dr. Nathan Riley, by speaking the truth. You are combating fifth generation warfare by doing exactly what you're doing on the podcast. And thank you so much. Thank you, Jim. Wow. We'll just end it there. I appreciate you so much. I appreciate it. James is a gangster. I'm so, so grateful that he spent some time with us. James, thank you. I hope you continue doing the work and we want to support you as much as we can. I've included as many links as I as I really could responsibly into the show notes, um, guys. So please go and check out his work. He's available um, on Twitter at, uh, let me get you his Twitter. Twitter handle is J-A Thorpe, T-H-O-R-P-M-F-M on Twitter. Go follow him there. Go support his work. This guy is a true, just a beautiful human. So thank you, James. If you guys liked anything here in the show, please support the sponsors. Full Well, BirthFit, Rosemary Marin, Organifi by Optimizers. Go support them. Let them know you're listening. Let them know that the shout out in our previous ad read, that it really mattered. Um, they keep the lights on for us, guys. So so please and thank you in advance. Um, also, if something, something like resonated with you here, share it. Put it in your newsletter. Put it, send it to your mom, send it to your grandma, like send it around. We need these conversations to get out. This one in particular, let's support James, Dr. Thorpe. Let's support this guy. Let's like, let him know that you are not alone. Share these episodes. And if you really, really like this podcast, any episode, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I promise you it means way more than you think. It's 20 seconds out of your day and it, it, it really provides a lifetime of value when we start rising further in the rankings on iTunes. We're already the best OBGYN podcast out there as far as I'm concerned. You know, birthing instincts gives me a run for my money, <laughs> but they're also dear friends, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay to being second to them. Um, I'm, 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 I'm teasing. There are a ton of really, really great OBGYN podcasts out there, but I put a lot of heart and soul into this. Leave me a review. It really, really matters. Next week, we've got another doctor, another OBGYN, believe it or not, Jennifer Lang. We're getting a little kinky with this one. You're going to really, really love her. She's actually a GYN oncologist, which is so fucking cool because she, she is so cool for being an OBGYN oncologist. <laughs> um, you're going to love hearing from Jennifer. All right. I will see you guys next week. Thank you so much for tuning in and uh, do no harm. Take no shit. See you around the corner. Mm -hmm.